Our scripture passage today is coming from Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am, not a, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Now, as we look at this passage today, it might be a parable you are familiar with. It certainly doesn't fall uh, at the same category of, say, the prodigal son. But the parables are these wonderful passages that relate to us what the kingdom of heaven is like. They, they often start with that same phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like. Now, when you hear a parable or you read it in a context like this, a one-time message, a one-time reading, you read one passage of scripture, of course, you want to understand the context in which Jesus is speaking this parable. We know he taught many times in many places through parables, but here in this scenario, we want to understand the situation he is speaking to. So we really have three scenes today that we're going to be looking at, and the first scene actually happens before our passage. If you look back with me in Matthew chapter 19, we won't read the whole passage together, but you'll be reminded of this story that I'm sure you're familiar with, the, the story of the rich young ruler. This was a man who was very prominent and rich, came to Jesus, and he asked him, how may I have eternal life? This is a man who had everything one would want, would have been considered blessed among the people of God in Israel, and yet he knew that he lacked something. And so he came to Jesus to see his take on how he ought to receive eternal life, how he can have assurance of his standing before God. And they have this interchange back and forth, going through some of the Ten Commandments, and ultimately Jesus tells him, sell all that you have and come and follow me. We know the story ends with the young rich ruler leaving sad because he had many possessions. And Jesus tells his disciples it is very difficult. In fact, it is impossible for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven but with God, all things are possible. 
Now, the response of the disciples to that scene really sets the stage for this parable because what we see is the words of Peter. You see, Peter watches this take place. And what does he ask Jesus? Who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? If a man like that goes away empty-handed and sad, who then can be saved? He goes on to ask Jesus, Look, we've left everything. Will we be rewarded? Will we receive the blessing from God? Jesus responds to him and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Peter is concerned about whether it's going to be worth it. The things he has given up, is he going to receive something back in proportion? Peter is concerned about receiving a just wage for his labors, for his sacrifice. Indeed, Jesus does give him assurance that all that he has lost, he will indeed gain much more in return. Not only a hundredfold for all of those things, but he'll be seated on a throne in heaven, an unthinkable place of prominence, authority, blessing. And if that's not enough, of course, you will receive eternal life. But it is here at this point, after he assures Peter the promises of the kingdom, that he tells this parable. Now we know these are connected because of the way he ends this instruction to Peter. The first will be last and the last first. And then at the end of our parable, the last will be first and the first last. He has bookmarked these two scenes together to show us that he is addressing the need of Peter to understand more deeply what the kingdom of heaven is truly like. Now, as we look at parables, we want to have in mind the various characters that are being presented because each of them represents a different type of person or character in the kingdom of God. So we have presented for us the first and the last, both at the beginning and the end here. And we also have the master of the house, who, of course, in this parable represents God himself, the true king over the kingdom. And so as we look through this passage together today, we are going to be looking at these characters, looking at what they tell us about ourselves, our role in the kingdom, and how they instruct us how we ought to live a life of faith before our God and Father. So we move on to our second scene. We've, we've seen this scene that has set the stage for us. Peter is concerned about what he will receive and we see the opening scene of our parable for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard now there's a bit of context that we don't have in our modern day a a master of a house the man who owns the land who has this vineyard This wouldn't be an uncommon scene for him to go out, especially at the time of the harvest, to find people to come and work in his vineyard to bring in the harvest. 
And as we look at parables, they begin to start out as an ordinary scene, and at some point it begins to twist, where the things that we expect to happen are different when we're talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. But so far, we are looking at a normal scene in the first century. Day laborers would have been those men and perhaps women who would have been out looking to be hired just for one day. No guarantee that they would be hired for the next day. Really at the mercy of those who owned land, had farms and places of employment for them to make a wage for the day. Perhaps the closest we can get to that in our modern context is a temp agency. I remember uh, working in a company where we had very busy summers, and we would always get these temps to come in to help us just do the heavy lifting. Some of them would end up being great workers. We'd hire them again and again and again. Other ones would turn out to be quite inefficient, and they would not be welcomed back. But this context here, these day laborers would have been the most needy and vulnerable people at the time with the people of Israel. There was no promise. There was no food stamps. There was no unemployment. If they weren't hired by a master of a house, they would go home poor and empty, unable to provide for themselves and perhaps their family. When they said the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, it would have meant something much more. So we see this man go out and he hires some laborers, some day laborers, and he promises to give them a denarius a day. Now, this is is a normal day's wage. Perhaps we'd say $150, $200. They're going to work from sunup to sundown, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Everything seems normal. It's setting the scene for a normal activity. And he goes out again about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Now, this hasn't gotten too strange. Perhaps he realized they needed a few more workers to bring in the harvest. Now, he doesn't promise them anything in particular, just to do what is right. But then things begin to get strange. We are told that the master of the house goes out again. About the sixth hour, this is noon. And about the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and he found others standing. And he hires them as well. And in, in case we thought that this landowner had any credibility left, I mean, think about this man traveling back and forth from his vineyard to hire laborers. Perhaps looking foolish to other masters of houses who roll their eyes at, what is this man doing? Does he not know how to run a house? Does he not know how many people to hire? Why is he coming back and forth? Doesn't he have more important things to do than to keep coming back to the marketplace? And then here at the 11th hour, 5 p.m., one hour left in the day, he goes out again and he finds others standing and he says to them, why do you stand here idle All day. And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. What a sad confession for these men to make. Sitting in the marketplace for 11 hours, watching other men get hired hour after hour, perhaps seeing this master of the house come time and time again. The master of the house says, To go out into the vineyard, and they go as well. 
Now, when we look at our characters for this parable, the first and the last, it becomes pretty clear to us how this is going to look in our parable. We have those who were hired early on in the day, the normal type of workers that were hired. And if you think about the way in which this scene plays out, what happens when you show up in the morning? You have the pick of the crowd, the man you hired yesterday who turned out really well, the guy your friend recommended he ought to be hired. Right? You, you can look over those who look the most promising, the most strong, well-suited, experienced workers. But these last workers, as they're being highlighted not only by the front and the end of our passage, but by the very act of speaking in our passage, ought to give us pause to stop and think, who are these last workers? Those who have been left out from being picked Time and time again. It's like the children who were never picked to play on the kickball team at recess. We don't know why they weren't chosen. Perhaps they showed up late that day. Perhaps they didn't have the right build or the so-called tools on their belt. Maybe they had a reputation for not being the best workers. Frank told you not to hire that guy. Maybe they even worked in his vineyard in days before. And he himself overlooked them. Whatever it is, we know that these are the men who have been sitting there, who have been picked over, who have been unnoticed. I can't imagine the amount of despair that had set in at this point, 11 hours. What their expectation would be as the master of the house comes and speaks to them. Why are you standing here idle all day? They can do nothing but confess the truth that no one has hired them. What else are we supposed to do? And he makes them no promise. He doesn't even say he's going to do what is right. He just sends them into his vineyard. It's the end of our first scene. And all of a sudden we're transplanted into the vineyard and the end of the day has come. Now these men who have been hired the last hour... I don't know how long it takes to travel from the marketplace to the vineyard to find out what's going on with the other workers. I don't know what kind of places you work at, but that last hour of the day isn't usually the most productive time. But we come to this scene, an hour has passed. The master of the house tells to have his laborers come in to be paid, beginning with the last into the first We're told in verse 9, those who were hired about the 11th hour came, and each one of them received a denarius. Now, maybe we've heard this parable a few times. That's a shocking statement. These men have worked maybe one hour, and they have now received $200, an entire day's wage. Everything they had expected to be lost sitting there all day in the marketplace, losing all hope that any way to support themselves or their family has long been gone. They have now been given a full day's wage. Now you might imagine what kind of response this would elicit. And you know there must have been some scene here because those who were hired first when they came, they knew these men had received a denarius. Because they thought that they would receive more. 
but each one of them also received a denarius, just as they were promised. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Can you not sympathize with these men? Working all day long. Then these people show up at the last second and they get paid the same amount as you. Perhaps the number one rule in all of American workplaces is you don't talk about how much you make. This is why. When you find out how much that guy makes, oh man. Right? It changes how you view how much you get paid. It changes how you view the company and how they treat those people. It begins to mix up all of these things, right? Even the last political cycle, equal pay for equal work. We can resonate with this dissatisfaction. This is part of what Jesus is getting at, showing us how the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom that we live in. The master of the house is gracious in how he responds to these many says to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? You see, these men... All of them started out in the same place. Desperate and needy day laborers. No promise, no guarantee, no labor contracts. Just standing there in the marketplace hoping somebody would hire them for today. And when they were hired at that first hour, they would have been overjoyed. They would have been fully content. In fact, we know they were fully content to go. They agreed for a denarius a day. And now that they've seen the generosity of the master of the house, they feel like their pay has been lessened, even though it hasn't changed one cent. Their circumstance hasn't changed. What has changed is these men's hearts. They have placed themselves ahead of these last workers. They have begun to think of themselves as better than them. Not identify with them as those needy day laborers, hoping, waiting, praying that they might be hired for the day. Instead, well, we were the first to be hired. What does this tell us about the kingdom of heaven? What is a first worker in the kingdom of heaven? What are the warnings for those who are first, in the middle, and at the last? How is this instructive to Peter? I think it's pretty plain to see that Peter is this first worker. The one who has given up everything. The one who is going to spend three years following Jesus. Who's going to put in all of this work. Ultimately, who's going to give his life for the sake of the gospel. And Peter, at this point, is very concerned about how much he's going to be rewarded. 
This might be true of us if we're first workers in the kingdom of heaven. If we were born in the church, baptized here as infants, we've spent countless hours serving on committees, setting up communion, being here, sweeping floors, wiping down pews, giving generously to support the mission of the church. This is a warning to us that it's going to be very easy to be like Peter. It's going to be very easy for us to begin to view the kingdom of heaven as one in which we can be self-righteous. One in which we can look to the things we've done and say, Jesus, are you going to reward me for that? And when we see other people coming in, we're going to think of ourselves as somehow ahead of them. Somehow better than them. You know, that's actually my seat over there. If you wouldn't mind finding a pew over there. It is so easy for our sinful hearts to turn towards looking at ourselves and trying to find righteousness in what we have done, to try to find standing in the kingdom of God by what we have done, and forgetting that everyone who walks through the doors into the kingdom of heaven all started in the same place. We all started as desperate, needy, wicked sinners, enemies of God, and yet he has called us into his marvelous light. Not because of anything we did, not because of anything we will do. For the first workers, we have to be reminded time and time again. For us who have labored along the, the journey with our church, with our families, throughout the ages, we have to be reminded that we labor in the work of God. Not to be rewarded, but because it is a joy to serve him. This passage also speaks to the last workers. Perhaps this describes you if you entered the kingdom of heaven later on. You don't need anybody to tell you you don't have the gifts. You don't have the reputation. You don't deserve to be here. You're reminded of it every day. You're overwhelmed with shame and guilt. You have a hard time thinking that you can be made equal. You look at that other family and you wish that that was your story. This parable brings great comfort to you. It doesn't matter if you've been here for 10 years or 10 seconds. Jesus is reminding Peter the one who is first in the door into his ministry, that there are going to be many more. Many more people he's not going to agree deserve to be there. In fact, the guy he thinks should be in there isn't even included. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who goes out and hires laborers for his vineyard, but it is so much more than what this parable shows us in this story. Look at the master of the house himself. This third primary character, he tells us the most about what the kingdom of God is like. As I read this passage over and over and over again, it seems to me that the master of the house doesn't really seem to care about his time, his reputation. It doesn't seem like he cares a whole lot about the harvest. It seems like he's most concerned with the laborers that he has hired 
He takes care of them. He does what is right. What is right maybe would be to take an hourly wage and divide it, right, from our context. That's, well, they worked 12 hours, he worked one. No, it's right to the master of the house. It's that he's going to care for those men. He's going to give them the dignity of the work of a day's wage. That they can go back home and provide for themselves, for their family, for their loved ones, for all the people in their lives. Not because they've earned it. Because he's decided to do it. You see, he wasn't content to just have some first workers. Jesus isn't content to have his 12 disciples. He's going to go again and again and again and again and again. Bringing in more and more people. And when those people come in, they aren't going in a line in which... He's thinking, oh, these are the ones I really liked. I got them first, Peter and John, James. These guys are the best. And, you know, eventually I'll, I'll get to those, you know, those other people. No, in fact, we see the exact opposite. The ones who were hired first who you would expect to be in the kingdom of heaven. They have to wait their turn. And he brings the ones who were overlooked, the ones who didn't deserve to be there, the ones who nobody else wanted. And he puts them at the front. Perhaps the best application we can have of this passage is to think about who the first worker truly is. The one who truly bore the heat of the day. Is it not Jesus Christ, the one who truly is the one who deserves to be in the kingdom? Who bore all of the weight of the work? Who actually should be rewarded for the things he did? who didn't start out in the marketplace over there, but is the son the rightful heir of the vineyard? Is it not him who is all-powerful and mighty and became weak, who is the God of creation and yet descended and took on the flesh of his creation? Is it not him who bore the weight of our sin? And how does he respond? How does he work? What does he expect to receive? It is a joy set before him that he endures the cross. Think about these last workers as they get paid and the other guys who are just grinding their teeth in anger. And we can sympathize with that sentiment, but what else could they have done? Can you not see a scenario where these men see these other guys get paid $200 an hour, and instead of thinking, man, I can't believe I didn't get paid $200 an hour, they say, what a wonderful man we work for. Praise God you have received such a generous gift. It's happy hour and you're buying. We'll see you tomorrow in the marketplace. They all leave happy to have received each one an equal portion. I don't know if you're a first worker or a middle-of-the-day worker, if you're new into the kingdom of heaven. This passage reminds us that the kingdom of heaven is one of grace, one in which we don't earn our rewards. Indeed, if the Lord rewards us, it is out of his kindness and mercy 
may it be true of us that we never forget where we have come from. Because when we forget where we have come from, we forget what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Christ redeeming sinners. When we begin to think of ourselves as earning rewards, we forget that God has bestowed on us every blessing because of what Christ has done. We begin to look at the people out there or on crazy social media posts and think, I'm so glad I'm not that guy. And instead, think, may the Lord have mercy and show kindness to them just as you have shown kindness to me. We belong to a God who not just gives away extra Christmas bonuses, which is great to receive. No, we belong to a God who has given everything. Peter says he's given everything. God himself has given everything so that you and I can be brought into his kingdom, so that you and I can be made equals, not only with one another, but with his own son that we can receive all of the blessings, all of the righteousness, all of the forgiveness, everything we need to stand before him. May we never forget what the kingdom of heaven is like. May we remind one another day in and day out how glorious the God we serve is. And may we rejoice as he brings more and more and more and more into his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us, showing mercy on sinners who are desperate and needy of your loving grace and mercy. Father, we are prone to shame and guilt, self-righteousness, depending on how we view ourselves. Help us to look to you, to be reminded of what Christ has done, that we can put away pride and we can put to death the shame that we can find our identity in him. Lord, help us to live lives of joy, of thankfulness, lives filled with faith, trusting in your provision for us instead of working to receive some sort of wage. Lord, you have given us so much more than that. We thank you for your grace. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.